Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the August 27th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily email. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter on the homepage. The crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the crypto.com app with code Laura. The link is in the description. Looking for NFTs that are useful and fun? Try SoRare, the largest NFT-based fantasy game. You can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed digital cards of soccer players from over 160 clubs on SoRare. That's S-O-R-A-R-E dot com. Polymarket is the leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most hotly debated topics, whether it's politics, coronavirus, current events, and more, all on the blockchain. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Today's guest is Nick Johnson, creator and lead developer of the Ethereum name service. Welcome, Thank Nick. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So you're the creator of the Ethereum name service, and that's been around for quite a while. But this week has been quite the week for ENS, with even Budweiser getting in on your invention. Why don't you start first by telling us what it is that ENS is, and then we can talk about the Budweiser. Sure. So ENS's basic job is to uh, enable users to use simple human usable, human readable names uh, like Nick.eth instead of uh, big long identifiers like uh, 0x1234, etc, etc, or access content on distributed hosting sites like IPFS uh, via simple human readable names as well. Uh, it works not just for, for uh, Ethereum names, but also for pretty much every blockchain uh, in existence. Uh, and we've been working since about 2017 to get it rolled out to as many integrations and wallets and apps as, as possible. Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't even aware that it was, um, I mean, it's called Ethereum name service, but uh, that's great that it's a multi-chain service. Um, so let's talk about the Budweiser news. Budweiser bought Beard.eth. Yes. So what would a company like Budweiser do with an address like uh, that? I mean, the, the first off, it, there's a good chance that, you know, they, they wanted the attention it brings, of course, and so we've obliged them, uh, the whole community, with that, it seems. Uh, I guess the things that come to mind are uh, if they're going to be uh, offering up their own NFTs or anything like that, then it gives them a public profile to do so from. Uh, they can host distributed content on it. So you could, uh, if your browser has MetaMask, for instance, or if you're using Brave or Opera, you can just go to beer.eth in the browser and it will show you their distributed website. Uh, 
you know, they, possibly they, they could sell beer for ETH, but I think that's uh, slightly less likely. <laughs> <laughs> and probably people wouldn't take advantage of that. Um, so when people, so it's both for receiving, but even also for displaying. Yeah. So, uh, one thing we've been focusing a lot on recently is ENS as a universal username, uh, and ENS for sign in. Uh, and so with that, if there, uh, if you have set up your username and say you, uh, post a bid on OpenSea on something or, uh, you vote on a snapshot or anything like that, it will show your ENS name, uh, instead of your address. Uh, and recently, in fact, Etherscan added support for that. So you can actually see transactions as coming from and going to ENS names. Oh, interesting. And so how did you come up with this idea in the first place? Uh, I was hired by the Ethereum Foundation uh, back in 2016, uh, shortly after the launch, uh, originally to work on Swarm. Uh, and one of the first things I did on the Swarm team was they were looking for a naming service of some kind because they had distributed content similar to IPFS. They needed a way to host it in, in a human accessible fashion. Uh, and so I was already very interested in naming systems. I'd done a bit of stuff with DNS in the past uh, and it was sort of fell to me to figure out how this should work in a distributed fashion. And there were existing sort of very basic naming systems that people had put together on Ethereum. Uh, but they were all extremely limited. So I set out to create something that was more versatile and expandable and, and generally useful. So Ethereum domain names are NFTs, basically, but it's not what people typically think of when they think of an NFT. So amidst this NFT craze that we're seeing, has the growth in um, Ethereum names been as explosive as we've seen for the art uh, NFT? It is. It's, it's really surprised us. Uh, in fact, uh, this month we're uh, set to hit uh, $2 million in registration and renewal fees, uh, which is double our previous high watermark. Uh, people are clearly very enthusiastic about uh, .eth names at the moment, just as they are about uh, art NFTs. And so what are people doing with them? Now, typically, uh, I think the the most common by far is uh, people buy them to to use them as as identifiers for receiving ETH and tokens and, and NFTs and so forth, and you know to a lesser degree on other blockchains, which is uh, you know supported by a number of wallets. Um, secondarily, people buy them to to host distributed content. Uh, there's also a degree of sort of buying them for flex. You know, somehow. Uh, you know, back in, I don't know, 2017 or 2018, I, I set my ENS name as my Twitter handle. Uh, and since then, it's become like almost a universal in-group identifier for Ethereum, which is really weird. Uh, I mean, it's great, but it's, it's not what I expected. Um, and so I think a lot of people get it because they're sort of expected to. Um, but with the number of integrations now, uh, it means that uh, effectively you can use it anywhere you would use an address, which has always been our long-term goal. And so how should people handle privacy issues around these names? Because um, obviously, if our blockchain addresses show our financial history, or at least some of it, for instance, I probably wouldn't want to have a business transaction sent to my .eth name, or I wouldn't want to make a big payment from it. So kind of how, how are people handling that or how do you suggest they handle yeah, it? Privacy is kind of a thorny issue on public ledgers in general and ENS kind of highlights it rather than worsening it because when it's associated with a name, it's suddenly a lot more obvious that, oh yes, actually all of this stuff is public. Whereas 
when you're looking at addresses, you can fool yourself that, oh, well, probably people won't make the connection. And so sort of we recommend people take the same sort of, of privacy steps that make sense in general. And so we have existing privacy tools uh, such as Tornado Cash. Uh, and the, the, the best general idea is uh, maintain a fairly clean public-facing persona account that you use for things you're happy for everybody to see, like the NFTs you want to show off or, you know, whatever uh, spending money you have for coffee or to, to pay for dinner or whatnot, uh, and then use anonymity services like Tornado Cash or an extremist. You can use a, a centralized exchange to send funds uh, to and from your, your own accounts, which you keep private. Oh, interesting. Okay, so so if I receive something there that I decide I don't want other people to see, then I should use Tornado Cash to basically send it to a wallet that nobody knows is connected to me. Something yeah, like pretty that. much. It's uh, you know it's generally a good idea, even if you don't have an NS name set up, to try and uh, separate out uh, the funds that and, and the the assets that you're happy having associated with the account you've made publicly known. Uh, from those that are, you know, you'd rather sort of keep on the down low for your own privacy. And I also would like to ask about situations like how Vitalik earlier this year received a lot of tokens that he did not ask for from the Shiba and Akita communities. And I feel like there was one other that I'm just blanking on. But, um, I, you know, I don't know how much of an issue that is, but I have seen on certain other blockchains that, um, particularly if they're ones with low transaction fees, that sometimes people do spam certain well-known addresses. So how should people deal yeah, with that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, to, to a degree, it's a, it's a Vitalik problem in that, uh, you know, not many of us are so famous that people just like randomly send us money because they think it's good for their business model. <laughs> and, you know, in one extent, I think actually what Vitalik did was a very good way to discourage that sort of thing for everybody going forwards because, you know, people had fooled themselves that, oh, well, you know, we'll just send it there. And for some reason, we've decided that he's going to, like, sit on it and not spend it because it's Vitalik, I guess. And he went, well, no, actually, I don't want my wallet to be a dumping ground for all of this stuff. If you send it there, I'm going to donate it to public goods. And, you know, if you don't want that to happen, don't send it. But I guess the the broader issue is just, that there's no way to control what people send to you. And so part of that is, you know, you can send it to burn addresses, you can, uh, you know, you can sort of acknowledge that uh, your public profile, you, you don't have direct control over what's sent to it. And I think people need to exercise a degree of scepticism when they look at somebody else's address that, oh, look, it's got this, you know, controversial token or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that person bought it and, and wanted it there. Uh, you know, if somebody else values enough making a mess, then they can pay to do so, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely obviously quite different from, you know, like putting up your own website or something. I think it's going to be an interesting problem because uh, it's not that sort of abuse is something that platforms like OpenSea haven't really had to deal with much yet. But I can make up a, uh, a token that, you know, that says, uh, you know, advertises my own shitcoin or you know, is full of uh, profanity or whatever and send it to Vitalik and it will show up on his OpenSea profile. Uh, and I can even write a custom token that is impossible to transfer away. And right now that would just show up there forever. Dealing with those sort of abuses is something platforms are going to have to figure out options for going forward, I think. Hmm. Wow, a token you can't mm -hmm. send away. 
That's interesting. Um, all right. So in a moment, we're going to discuss a little bit more about how this works. Plus also dive into some news that ENS has. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions, all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. again have more than 200,000 new COVID cases per day before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link to get started. That's polymarket.co slash unconfirmed. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports? SoRare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. SoRare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. Back to my conversation with Nick Johnson. So how is it that people buy their .eth names? We have an official interface at app.ens.domains. Uh, you can simply go there, enter the name you want, and it will lead you through the process, which requires two Ethereum transactions. Uh, it's all run by impartial uh, smart contracts on the back end. And so there are a couple of other uh, sites such as uh, MyCrypto and MyEtherWallet uh, that support registering uh, names through their interface as well. And how much does a .eth name typically cost? Uh, so we charge, uh, or, or ENS charges, uh, $5 a year uh, for any domain that's five characters or longer. Um, and then four character names are significantly more expensive at $160 a year. And three character names more expensive again at six hundred and forty dollars a year, uh, and that's because those names are correspondingly, you know, more rare and extremely rare. And we didn't want to set up a situation where uh, somebody swooped in right at the beginning and got every three-letter domain and resold it on OpenSea. I see. There was a period earlier where they were being auctioned mm-hmm. off, and I can't remember um, if that's. That's not how it's done right now, right? No, so there's, there were a couple of phases where we had something like that. When we very first launched, uh, we used a, a Vickery auction, a second price auction, uh, to release all names. Um, and the money people put in was, was put into a deposit, which was refundable if you released the name. Uh, two years after launch, we transitioned to the current model, the, the rent-based model, and everyone who had a name under the old uh, system was able to transfer it uh, with a year's free registration to the new system. Uh, we also more recently, uh, a, a, the original implementation of ENS only permitted registrations of uh, seven character and longer names. And that was a sort of a deliberate choice to ensure that uh, all the short names weren't snapped up when it was still obscure and, and new. Um, and so when we reduced that limit to three characters, uh, we had what we call the short name auction, where basically all the newly released names were put up for auction uh, at the start. Okay. And how do you handle issues like squatters or imposters who could rake in a lot of money if they use the names of famous people? Like, you know, if I create OprahWinfrey.eth or something, <laughs> I could probably collect a lot of money, but 
wouldn't be very ethical. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's sort of two issues here. One is uh, is squatting for for resale for profit, um, and we're committed to building a neutral platform that doesn't and in fact can't discriminate based on you know ownership and so forth. So, the only real mechanism we have there is is setting prices to make it uh, cost ineffective to try and squat on names. Uh, you know, we try and uh, ensure that the price is low enough it's easy for people to register but high enough that you can't just ta- you know register 10,000 names and resell them all at a profit and the the impersonation issue the way i look at it is that the value of a name comes from it being uh, attested to by the the person who owns it so on its own nobody would go oh i think i'll send some ether to nick.eth because it's probably nick johnson they would first you know find out what is nick's ens name and although Oprah Winfrey pretty uniquely identifies the celebrity, uh, anybody just seeing it off the bat is probably not going to immediately assume, oh, that must definitely be owned by her. They would, uh, you know, first verify. And that's one reason that, like, ENS names and Twitter handles are, is so amazing because it, it means that person is asserting that name is my name and you can rely on, you know, that if you send to it, it'll arrive with me. And so what happens if I have a certain address associated with my dot eth name and then i lose access to that, <laughs> to those private keys and then can i move the laurishin dot eth or, or whatever my dot eth so, name is so we have a distinction in ens between the registrant which is the account that registers and sort of uh ultimately controls the name and the controller which has sort of day-to-day access to update things so one way to avoid that risk is to make sure that you register it the registrant is an account that you have backed up in a secure location and so forth. So if you lose access to your day-to-day keys, you can always use that account to transfer it to a new account or to, to update it to point to a new account. You know, the ultimate issue is is the sort of self-custody thing. And if you really lose access to all of your credentials, there's no secure, decentralized way to, to restore that access. Uh, and that's also part of the reason why we have a yearly renewal instead of a or you know yearly fee rather than a forever registration. Um, is because it means that uh, it reduces the risk that in you know looking far into the future, hundred years, all the interesting names are owned by people who have uh, you know forgotten their keys or lost them or whatnot. <laughs> right, which would happen if you didn't have that uh, in yep. place. Um, so you made an announcement today on Thursday, August twenty sixth, which is the day before the show comes out. And that had to do with traditional domain names. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, so so ENS, unlike a lot of uh, you know competing decentralized name services, has committed to to working nicely and integrating well with the existing DNS namespace. So we have .eth, which is our own unique uh, top level domain. It has its own special properties by virtue of being hosted on Ethereum. But we want to be part of the global namespace, which includes .com and and every other top level domain you can think of. And so We've been working for a long while on integrating that better into ENS. A couple of years back, we we piloted this with supporting .xyz domains on ENS. Uh, just uh, yesterday, we rolled out support for almost every top-level domain uh, in the DNS route. Uh, so if you own uh, you know, a .com, a .org, a, a .domains, a dot, you know, name the top-level domain, uh, you can now import that into ENS and use it as your ENS name uh, the same way you would use a .eth name. Uh, and because this always comes up, if you have uh, uh, laurishin.com 
and you import it into ENS, you get lorishin.com, not lorishin.eth. That's a separate name. So it allows anyone to use their names directly as they are inside ENS as native ENS names. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I saw people responding to the Twitter announcement saying things like, oh, I got rug pulled. And I took that to mean that they had squatted on some names and then, but but you're saying they couldn't have? I think people are upset because they were speculatively registering, hoping to resell the domains at a profit. Uh, and they view the availability of more top-level domains as, as reducing the intrinsic value of those domains they hold. But oh. we've been very clear since day one that we don't view ENS as an investment vehicle. It's intended to be a, a utility, you know, and it's intended to be a public good that, that makes it easier to use Ethereum. We've had on our public roadmap since about 2017 our intention to integrate with DNS. So uh, I, you know, my own view is that we're pursuing what we've always publicly said we want to do. Uh, if you took a punt on on ENS names as a um, investment, uh, that's not something we've ever really intended to support. Uh, and so you should bear that in mind when you're thinking about buying a name to resell. All right. Well, what other new features can we expect to see from ENS going forward? Uh, the big thing we're working on at the moment is uh, support for layer twos in order to reduce gas costs. Uh, so, you know, we see ourselves as a public good. We don't want to pick one uh, layer two and endorse it as the layer two for ENS. Uh, and we're aware that, you know, ENS users use pretty much everything. Uh, so what we're doing is we're building a platform that will make it possible to move uh, an ENS name and all its subdomains to any Layer 2 system uh, and then update the records there. And anyone who resolves your name, like in MetaMask or any other wallet, uh, will be able to just transparently resolve it against whatever Layer 2 solution you, uh, you're choosing to use. Uh, and that's going to massively reduce the gas costs for for updating and registering subdomains and so forth. Which layer twos do you intend to support first? Uh, so we're kind of building like a, a really simple base layer first, which is that we'll, we're building a framework so you can support anything, and that will include uh, your own database on your own server and so forth, which most people may not think of as a layer two, but with the great signatures can, can have the same security assumptions. Uh, beyond that, uh, I've built a prototype on Optimism, and it's currently the one we understand the best, and so it'll be the easiest to roll out first, I expect. Beyond layer two, we're really focusing on the, the core usability sort of features of Ethereum uh, so, and of ENS. Uh, and so layer two support initially will just support uh, setting your uh, already registered domain to resolve via layer two. But we'd like to start to do things like move registration uh, and setting reverse records and so on onto platforms that have lower gas cost as well. Uh, really, in, a, in the long run, we're focused on making things as, as efficient and, and easy to use for people as possible. We're also really hopeful that this Layer 2 support will lead to uh, really uh, high adoption of wallets issuing names, uh, subdomains to their users and so forth, which means we'll be able to onboard a whole new group of people who might not have bought their own uh, .eth second-level domains. Great. All right. Well, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly 
and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, a wall of institutional money is coming for NFTs. On Monday, Visa announced its purchase of CryptoPunk 7610. The payments company spent 49.5 ETH, or approximately $150,000, on the NFT. Visa has been collecting such items, dubbed historic commerce artifacts, for over 60 years. The expensive JPEG will be joining early paper credit cards and the ZipZap machine among Visa's collection. Not exactly the most inspiring company for NFTs to be lumped into. However, Visa is bullish on NFTs. In a report, the payments giant said that, quote, NFTs represent a deeper and more innovative way for fans to engage in potential new revenue streams for organizations. We think NFTs will play an important role in the future of retail, social media, entertainment, and commerce, said Kai Sheffield, Visa's head of crypto. Visa was not the only quote-unquote institution to make NFT news this week. Budweiser also made a splash in the non-fungible world, purchasing a hand-drawn beer rocket NFT for 8 ETH, in addition to registering the Ethereum domain name beer.eth for 30 ETH, or roughly $100,000. Also, Fox Entertainment invested in Alluvio, a blockchain focused on storing, distributing, and monetizing digital content at scale, in a Series A valuing Alluvio at $100 million. As part of the deal, Alluvio will act as the technology platform for Fox's NFT business, Blockchain Creative Labs. Next headline, analysts bearish on Bitcoin price as positive Bitcoin news holds steady. Bitcoin broke 50k for the first time in three months on Sunday. However, according to Arcane Research Analysts, the seven-day average BTC trading volume is lagging behind the positive price action. If the trend continues, Arcane Analysts think the market could become exhausted and fizzle out. On-chain analyst Will Clemente agreed, saying he, quote, was short-term bearish on Monday, citing illiquid supply and coins moving onto exchanges. At publishing time, it appears that Will and Arcane could be right about BTC moving bearish, with the price falling back down to 46k. Despite all that, Bitcoin had a pretty good week. Here are five highlights. Substack, a newsletter and content platform, integrated Bitcoin as a payment option through a partnership with OpenNode. On-chain analyst Willie Wu and Dan Held, director of growth at Kraken, will be some of the first writers to accept Bitcoin sent on-chain or through the Lightning Network. El Salvador plans to launch its government-supported Bitcoin wallet on September 7th, according to President Nayib Bukele. Those who download the wallet will receive $30 in Bitcoin. The wallet release will coincide with El Salvador's Bitcoin law coming into effect. Business intelligence firm MicroStrategy announced another Bitcoin purchase this week, adding 3,907 coins, or $175 million, at an average price of $45,000. The company now hodls roughly 109,000 Bitcoin on its balance sheet, or roughly $5.5 billion. Citigroup is awaiting regulatory approval to begin trading Bitcoin futures contracts on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. If approved, Citi would join Goldman in offering Bitcoin futures trading. Blockstream, a Bitcoin technology company, raised $210 million in Series B funding, valuing the company at $3.2 billion. The new influx of cash will fund an expansion into manufacturing mining chips, also known as ASICs. 
Binance increases verification requirements for users as rumors of a $200 billion raise swirl. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, is now requiring all new users to complete its intermediate verification process. Existing users who have not yet completed intermediate verification will see their accounts severely limited. This means customers will need to submit a government-issued ID along with a selfie to obtain approval to trade, deposit, and withdraw on the platform without restriction. The move is meant to align Binance with what the company called evolving global compliance standards, with which the crypto exchange has become intimately familiar as of late. The new verification mandate is the latest in a string of compliance-friendly moves by the exchange. A few weeks ago, Binance reduced the daily withdrawal limit for non-verified accounts from 2 Bitcoin to 0.06. The company also recently capped trading to a maximum of 20x leverage down from 100x in July. One explanation for the increased verification requirements could be that Binance is attempting to raise money, as Chinese journalist Colin Wu reported. Wu cited multiple sources, writing that, quote, Binance is considering obtaining investment and protection from government funds and a valuation of $200 billion. Singapore is one of the most likely options. In related news, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority published a memo saying Binance is not capable of being effectively supervised by the agency. Last month, the FCA banned Binance from conducting regulated activities in the country. The infrastructure bill is likely to leave the controversial crypto provision intact. A controversial crypto provision tucked in the bipartisan infrastructure bill is likely to become law after the House voted to move forward without any new amendments, as in the Senate. The decision is a blow to the crypto industry because the current wording could classify miners, validators, and developers as brokers. Each broker would be responsible for a filing of a 1099 form on behalf of their customers and reporting any transactions over $10,000 to the IRS. For many entities captured by the current broker definition, it would be nearly impossible to comply. According to CNBC, an unnamed Treasury official said that the U.S. Treasury Department will not target non-brokers such as miners, hardware developers, and others, even if there is no amendment. Coin Center's Jerry Brito remains unconvinced, though. Quote, I'm glad to hear that Treasury officials are telling reporters on background that they don't intend to target miners if the infrastructure bill's crypto tax provision becomes law, but I'm afraid that that is of little comfort. For now, the plan is for the House to vote on the infrastructure package by September 27th. If approved, it will go to President Joe Biden, who will almost certainly sign it into law. In other regulatory news, Representative Darren Soto Democrat of Florida reintroduced two bills on Wednesday. The first is the U.S. Virtual Currency Market and Regulatory Competitiveness Act, which directs the CFTC to produce a report on worldwide digital currency regulation and how the U.S. can promote digital asset innovation. The second is the Virtual Currency Consumer Protection Act of 2021, which asks for a report on price manipulation in digital assets and recommendations for regulation that could mitigate any found issues. Next headline. USDC plans to make reserves 100% backed by cash. Circle announced that its stablecoin, USDC, will be 100% backed by cash in short-term U.S. Treasuries by September. Center, the consortium building USDC, formed by Circle and Coinbase, cited community sentiment and a commitment to trust and transparency as reasons for the change. In July, it revealed that USDC only held 61% of the reserves backing USDC in cash and cash equivalents, with the rest backed by Yankee Certificates of Deposit, meaning CDs issued by foreign-slash-non-U.S. US Treasuries, 
commercial paper, municipal, and corporate bonds. From Circle's perspective, the move to back USDC by cash and cash equivalents comes shortly after the company A shared plans to go public via a SPAC and B announced its desire to become, quote, a full reserve national bank. Speaking of stable coins, Paxos, the blockchain infrastructure firm, is rebranding its stable coin from Paxos Standard to Paxos Dollar. The token, formerly PAX, will now be listed as USDP. Next headline Avalanche's AVAX token pops amidst liquidity mining program. AVAX, the native token of the scalability-focused blockchain Avalanche, is up about 100% over the past seven days, the largest price increase for a top 100 token by market cap. Avalanche's DeFi ecosystem has also been flooded with deposits, ballooning from just $380 million in total value locked to $2.4 billion in total value locked in just seven days. The network's popularity coincides with the recent launch of Avalanche Rush, a $180 million liquidity mining incentive program spearheaded by the Avalanche Foundation. Phase 1 of the Rush program has already begun, with three DeFi stalwarts, Aave, Curve, and Sushi, participating in the liquidity mining program. Over the next three months, $40 million in rewards will be given to Avalanche-based LPs providing liquidity on those platforms. Going forward, it remains to be seen whether Avalanche will thrive once the incentives dry up. As crypto investor Muni told Coindesk, it could go one of two ways. The liquidity mining incentives kickstart a flywheel effect around their ecosystem, or enthusiasm dries up and the hot ball of money moves to the next pot of honey. For now, Avalanche will continue onboarding blue-chip DeFi protocols. Next headline, Andreessen Horowitz publishes best practices for DeFi delegation. In a Thursday blog post, A16Z shared details about its token delegation process, including best practices, delegate assessment criteria, legal mechanics, the current delegate network, and ideas for future improvement. As an early investor in DeFi protocols like Uniswap, Compound, and Celo, among others, A16Z has collected a large number of governance tokens. Over the past year, A16Z has delegated the majority of its governance rights in protocols to a collection of nonprofits, startups, and universities, with the idea of lowering A16Z's sway in on-chain voting. Quote, unlike traditional companies, protocols are meant to be governed on a decentralized basis. This unlocks their core value prop, neutrality, and ensures they'll remain open to anyone who wants to use slash build on them, tweeted A16Z's Jeff Amico. To truly serve this purpose, though, a strong form of delegation is needed, one that not only reduces surface-level concentration, but that optimizes for certain other key principles as well, including quality, diversity, engagement, and perhaps most of all, independence. Time for fun bits. Board Ape Yacht Club versus Arizona Ice Tea. Last Friday, Arizona Ice-T announced that it had aped into the Bored Ape Yacht Club collection by scooping up one of the 10,000 popular NFTs. Decrypt reports that while the Bored Ape Twitter account welcomed the brand into the community, BAYC creators think the brand overstepped its commercial limits in its announcement. Yuga Labs grants a commercial license to Bored Ape NFT owners to use the image as they see fit. However, Arizona Ice-T used the Bored Ape Yacht Club name and logo with the announcement which apparently does not count as authorized use. Quote, owning one of our NFTs does not give any rights to our name, logos, or branding. However, that was inappropriate usage and we've messaged them about it, the Yuga team told Decrypt. 
All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Nick and the Ethereum name service, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.